We're going to start a new series today. Truth in the midst of lies. How do you find the truth when there's so much going on about us, <coughs> excuse me, that is uh, false news or whatever you want to call that in, in our world? But we're going to try to find out what is the truth in the middle of all of this. So we're going to be in that series. And so to start that off, I thought we'd play this game called Two Truths and a Lie. I know the students did that last week. Two Truths and a Lie. Mike, you want to go first? I want you to no. give, us, <laughs> give us the three statements, and then we're going to guess which one is not true. I was trained to play classical piano. Okay. I once performed at a concert for over 10,000 people in attendance. And I once held a factory job for 20 years. All right. How many think number one's a lie? Come on, you got to be honest about this. All right. All right. How many thinks that he performed at a concert with over 10,000 people? Okay, you think that's the lie, right? Okay. Okay, I worked in a factory for 20 years. Okay, there's a lot of people. Okay, what was true? I did work in a factory for 20 years. Uh huh. I worked, I worked at the Sweetheart Factory for making yeah, cups. All right. And I have been at a t an attendance of a concert. I have performed at a concert with over 10,000 people. That's pretty awesome. I cannot play the piano. <laughs> yeah, okay. <clears throat> all right, Becca's going to bring us three statements two truths, one lie. See if we can figure it out. I own jewelry made of kidney stones. Oh, that's awful. I sang with Andy Williams on a Christmas special. Mm -hmm. And I have read Little Women over 20 times. Okay, number, okay. How many think number one is the lie? I hope so, too. <laughs> okay. How many think singing with Andy Williams on a Christmas special is a lie? Okay, got a few out there. And she's read Little Women 20 times or more. They think that's a lie. All right. So which, what is it? I have read Little Women over 20 times, at least once a year since I was 12. Okay. I did sing with Andy Williams on a Christmas special. Oh, I'm it so is thankful. on YouTube. You don't want to see it. <laughs> so I do not own jewelry made of kidney stones, Ooh. but I do own jewelry made of a gallstone. No. That is true. We don't want to know that. Oh, that's weird. All right. <laughs> All right, I want to add one more, two truths and a lie. Out of Galatians chapter 1, where we are at today, we're going to start a series through the book of Galatians. And I want to start out with two truths and a lie, see if you can figure out which is which. And the first statement is, the Ten Commandments of God are the same as the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, attempting to be good by following the law of God does not make a person right in relationship with God. Third statement, Paul was given the message of the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, by revelation from God. All right, how many think number one is the lie? Okay, the covenant of God are the same as, as the same as the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many think that's the lie? Okay. 
attempting to be good by following the law of God does not make a person right in relationship with God. If you think that's a lie, raise your hand. Okay? If Paul was given the message of the gospel of Jesus by, uh, of Jesus the Messiah by revelation from God. How many of you think that's false? Okay? Now as we go through it today, I want you to try to see if you can find the correct answer. And I'll try to remember to tell you which one at the end. If I don't, stop me. Okay? I'm going to try to, try to get that done so we can make sure we understand what's true and what's not true in that passage. I want you to, as we start today, as we get your books, go to Galatians chapter 1. And we're going to start with this question I want you to look for. How did God's people turn away from the gospel of Jesus Christ? How did they or why did they turn away from the good news of Jesus Christ? Okay, we're going to, uh, as, we, as you get your Bibles, we get ready. I'll read it in just a moment. I want to give you a little background into this book. So we have some understanding of where this is coming from. First of all, this was Paul's very first letter written to a church. This is the first of all of the New Testament letters. Galatians was the first one. It was some 60 years, so a pretty short period of time after the uh, crucifixion, resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it was with a short time frame of when that happened. It was written to this community known as Galatia, and they were a Celtic people, an Indo-European type of uh, culture. They're Gentiles, non-Jews. So when he's speaking to the Galatian people, they are folks that are not of of the Jewish ancestry. Uh, But they are very used to ritual-type worship, idol worship. So they had several idols in their day. And this is currently in the present day Turkey. Galatia is found right now, would be found in Turkey. And the reason for this letter, Paul is addressing a problem that had developed at this new church that had started in Galatia. The church started around the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was a fairly small community church at this point. Um, But what happened is the problem when Paul taught established the church and began to instruct them, set up that new baby church. And then if you know about Paul, he was a traveling church starter, evangelist, if you will. He'd start a church here and get it going, go to another region and start a church and get that going. So when he left Galatia, behind him came a group of people from the Jewish tradition, the history, the ancestry of all of Christianity, But they would come behind what he taught as the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he told the folks there, in order to be right with God, this this salvation that you have in Jesus is okay. But to actually follow the Lord closely, you are also under the uh, covenant of of the law. And you must fulfill the standards of the law. And they were forcing circumcision on these Gentiles to be outward proof that they were also of God's covenant. Uh, in that situation, they, they, this, these folks knew uh, law, they knew rituals, they knew uh, beliefs they had around their paganism. So the Gentiles kind of bought into that, back into that, because it was comfortable for them. They were, they were aware of those types of things. 
Now, the letter is by Paul. Let me give you a little history for those of you who may not know so much about him. Here's how Paul described himself in this first chapter of Galatians in verses 13 and 15. He said, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. So he's come out of this. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Now when he was writing to the Philippian church later, here's how he described himself. So I want you to get who this guy is that's writing this new transformative message. Here he said, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. I was uh, of the people of Israel. I was of the chosen people. I'm Jewish. Of the tribe of Benjamin, which if you know the difference here, we have the ten tribes uh, that, are, that are northern, and then we have the two tribes that are south. And he says, I'm of Benjamin and Judah, which makes up the Jews. The two, two parts of that culture that made up the Jewish tradition. He said, I'm also a Hebrew of Hebrews. If you want to see an example of what it means to be a, a Hebrew, a follower of Yahweh, you can look at me and see that I'm that. He says, in regards to the law of God, notice he says, I am a Pharisee. You're going to hear that come back in a moment about he's talking about who he used to be. He said, I had a massive zeal for persecuting and stopping this thing called the church of Jesus Christ. He says, I was all about it. As for righteousness based on the law, he says, I was faultless. That's pretty bold to say that I was faultless before God because I kept all of the law. And a lot of folks have put, and I probably grew up thinking this, that Paul was just kind of a, the 13th disciple. They was kind of in that same category of the disciples, but it's really not so. God selected this man right out of the heart, the root system of Judaism, and pulled him out to bring a message. A whole, uh, now, this is a radical message that he's preaching at this point. Pulled him out of deep roots of Hebrew and brought him to a place where he's preaching a message of Jesus Christ as the only way to be right with God. So this, this Paul, that kind of sets him apart. Now, the other uh, disciples... And even the message of Jesus was directed toward the Israelites. It's interesting that we hear that or, or don't realize. I probably didn't realize that for many different, for a long time. But in Galatians uh, 13, 14, here's the new thing. The purpose was, 3, 14, excuse me. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Do you hear that? This, me this Pauline message is our hope, if you're a, not a Jew. This is it. I mean, this is where it turned. Because we would have been outside of covenant if, this, if the Lord Jesus did not give this message to this man to bring to us. Now, there's probably, we in this crowd, we probably have some Jewish ancestries because if you'll remember, they were scattered all over the earth. 
But the majority of us probably would fall under the category of Gentile and we would not have any chance for being brought into covenant. The message of the disciples and of Jesus was to go to the Israelites. And why would they need to go after the the Israelites? Well, if you will remember back that because Israel, the ten tribes, had failed their relationship with God, They were prone to fall away. They were prone to get involved in the culture of the people they were around. And they would take on worship of the people of the land. They began to worship idols. And they got messed up. And God considered that unfaithfulness like a marriage unfaithfulness. And he warned them. That's why if you read the prophets, most all of the prophets of Scripture was warning Israel, you need to stop what you're doing in worshiping this world and the things of this world. You have the only God as your leader. And that that puts you in a very superior place. And they were those people, but they kept falling away. And the prophets warned them, tell them, come back to God. But they didn't. And then we have in the scripture where it says that the Lord handed them over into, uh, received a, a certificate of divorce. He literally divorced Israel from his covenant with them because of their failure. So much of the purpose and the motive behind the New Testament of the the disciples and even of Jesus was to go to that lost tribe, the lost tribes, and give them a chance to come back into covenant through the blood of Jesus. And then Paul comes and says, now we who are Gentiles can also join into and be a part of the covenant of God by faith in Jesus Christ. That's why this is radical. It's such good news for us Gentiles. And it was a real shock possibly to those of the time uh, that they were in when they found themselves in that difficulty. If in Jeremiah 3.8, because some of you may not have heard that before, Jeremiah 3.8, here's where it says, God says, I observed it was because of unfaithfulness or unfaithful Israel had committed adultery and I sent her away and had given her a certificate of divorce. So when you hear that story, what I'm talking about, God was saying, I tried and I tried to be, to have you because remember, the church is going to be the bride of Christ. The redeemed will be the bride of Christ. Jew and Gentile born again people are the bride of Christ and so all of God's covenant has that concept behind it that there is a marriage covenant we are his and he is ours and when they when Israel was constantly unfaithful then God says I have to release you from covenant because you've broken covenant with me and that when I was talking about Jesus speaking and uh, to the disciples just going to Israel here's what Jesus said in Matthew 10 Don't take the road leading to other nations and don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So the intent was to get this Israelite people back. So that's kind of the foundation behind the Galatians story. This guy was a Pharisee. He met Jesus and he has a radical transformation. And and the Lord actually took him away for three years. Paul tells us about that. And for three years, he was instructed by the Lord in a desert, he said. 
And so when Paul came back, this is the message that he brought back after that time at, uh, when he was, uh, his, had that process on that road to Damascus. Remember? When he was going as a Pharisee to stop the church and the Lord knocked him to the ground and spoke to him. And he had that period of blindness. And at, right after that, he went for three years to be discipled by the Lord. And he came back with this radical message. So, I want to answer this question today as we look at Scripture. Why were these Gentiles who had heard the message of Jesus, why were they turning back to the, uh, to the covenant of the law? Why were they going backward? So, let's take Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by men, but from Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and the sisters with me, to the church, churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the gospel. Who gave himself up for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and forever. Here's where Paul addresses the promise, the problem here. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, if you'll go over to chapter 2 with me, and we're going to look at the first five verses. It's kind of ties together here. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and a meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders or the disciples. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus who was with me was compelled by the disciples to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. So here's the motive. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. That is what Paul believes is the motive of these folks who came in behind the gospel and tried to pull them back under the issues of the law. He says they, they come in to make us slaves again to the law. Some turned away. First point, if you're writing it down. Some people turned away because they were led astray. Somebody came in and led them from the truth back to a position which was contrary to the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> in verses 6 and 7, says, I was astonished that you were so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel, which is not good news at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So, you hear Paul's motive behind this and what he says the, the Judaizers were doing. He says it's a different gospel. Then he says it's actually not good news at all that they're trying to teach. And it, this was bringing a great confusion into this early church. 
And matter of fact, it caused division, it caused strife within that body of believers. And, he, and Paul even said, you guys are trying to pervert, change the message of the gospel. The, a group of Jewish Old Covenant law people came in behind where Paul was teaching and establishing churches, teaching about Jesus, and they would come in and try to pull them back into under the law. They would say some, something like this, it's fine that you follow Jesus, because most of them honestly didn't receive him as Messiah. Because you remember, from a Jewish mindset, the Messiah coming was going to be a military leader. He was going to come in and bring defeat to raise up Israel in the eyes of the world to be leaders. And when the Lord came in, not as a military conquest, but as a baby born in a manger, they missed that. They will find him. We know Old Testament or the New Testament tells us that many or most of those are going to find Jesus as we get closer to the end. But at that point, they did not recognize him as the Lord. So they caused they cause this, dis, this disturbance among the people. And I'll be honest with you, this is still very, very rampant in the church today. It's, it's out constantly, uh, out trying to cause this discord in the church. These guys came behind the law and they wanted to add the Levitical laws on top of the message that you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that they set before them. Now, if you'll know, these laws were given for a specific people for a specific time. This was the Israelites who were in bondage in Egypt. So they they knew of Yahweh, but they also, all they know, knew to live under was slavery and the law of the land, the law of Pharaoh, the law of Exodus, I mean, of, of uh, Egypt. That's all they knew. They grew up and all they were were slaves. So God gave them a law, remember, is during the time they were moving from slavery to the land of promise. It was the time that God brought the commandments on the mountain to give to Israel why? Because God wanted Israel to have the, the law, the standards of God on how to create a culture when they moved into the new land. A godly culture. A culture, a culture that worshipped God above all things. A culture that had a great relationships between parents and children. The laws that says don't steal from your brothers. Don't covet what your name, you know, keep the Sabbath day, worship the Lord wanted to establish the covenant that established the culture that he wanted to establish. And by the way, those laws are still awesome and very necessary for the land of America. We need to come back to and try to live into the standards of God. Because they do establish a godly culture. Some turned away because they were led by these, they called them, Judaizers that came behind them. That specific law for specific people for a specific time was all summarized in the covenant or the old covenant that God gave his people. Paul boldly writes here that to reject his teaching of faith alone in Jesus he called it uh, a perversion of the gospel. And he says, even if you hear this and you believe this, he said, may a curse be upon them. Paul even had that 
that strong of a feeling saying that if they put this law back on you, now the law of God is right, it's holy, it's pure, and it's true. And it is still the standard for godly relationships and godly culture. But it was a different mindset because back then to stay right with God, you have to be 100% fulfilling those laws. And what those laws told humanity was, you can't do it. I mean, you, we can try and we can be, you know, in a lot of ways be really close to the standards of the ten. But what it always shows us is that we come short. What it, the covenant, which is godly, true, and still uh, functioning and should be the standard of our culture, cultural position, also defines us as sinners. We can't live up fully, 100%. There's only been one person on the planet who ever fully lived up to the covenant of God. Who would you guess that would be? Jesus. He was the one without fault. He was, they use the word transgression. Transgression is when you're shooting a bow and arrow and you shoot at the target and it misses the mark. That's transgression. We're shooting at the target We want to be right with God, but we veer off because of our sin nature. And that makes us transgressors, or we miss the target. So what does that do? It makes us guilty before God. And you'll find with the gospel, that is good news. When we realize we can't make it, we can't fulfill the law of God as commanded because of our sin nature. But Jesus, the one who did not ever sin, said, I'll pay for your sin. This still astonishes me. I, I think I thought of this not too many years ago. That when Jesus went to the cross, and remember the time that the Father turned His back? There's a there's the message in there that the Lord, that the Creator Father God who sent His Son Jesus to be, take our sin place, to be the very last sacrifice of blood ever needed for man to be right with God. And when the Father turned His back on Jesus, it's when Jesus cried out. It's when He cried out. He took all of the abuse, took all the beating, He took all the whipping, He took all of the cross without saying a word. But when when His Father turned His back, that's when the Lord Jesus cried out. You know why the Father turned His back? Just think of the, don't think long because it takes you to a bad place. Think of some of the worst stuff of your life. The sins, the rebellion, the failure, the abuse given, the abuse received, the lying, think of all that. I don't know how this happened, but all at the same time, Jesus took all of that upon himself. All of it. Can you imagine? You know how one area will just try to mess us up for life? He took all of that upon Himself. And when He became sin, the Father turned His back on that sin. And then, when He spilt His blood, He paid the price of all of our sin. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. That He took all of that. And His blood, without He had no spot, he had no blemish, he had no failure. That blood paid for our sin. 
What was their payment? Death. He paid the price of sin in our life by dying on the cross for us. Don't ever get tired of that, please. That is the hope, that is the message of planet Earth has been since the time of Christ, some 2,000 plus years. The second reason some turned away from the gospel is because they preferred religious tradition. Another reason why some turned away from the gospel, some were led astray, others were returned or went away from the gospel of Christ because they preferred the tradition of what they knew before that time. I'm going to start in verse 11, chapter 1. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. That should answer one of my questions I put at the first. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God. I tried even to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism Beyond many of my own age among my people, I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult with any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia where I returned to Damascus. So he was brought up under the law. He was a Pharisee. And there, I think there were 316 laws that God gave. Uh, that's called the Torah, or the first five books of the law. There were 316 laws in that section. But Paul was of the Pharisees, and the Pharisees wrote laws on top of the Torah that they call the Mishnah. And so these guys wrote a whole bunch of laws to try to keep everybody away from breaking the law of God. So it was just heavy laden to the point of on Sunday you couldn't take but a certain number of steps without transgressing the law. On on Sabbath, if you took more than, let's say, I don't remember what the number was, a certain number of steps, you would be transgressing the law because you weren't resting. And when it come to tithing, they were tithing down to the spices in their cabinets, going through and taking out the smallest part just so that they make sure that they weren't breaking the commandments of God. So they were worked, these uh, Pharisees worked really hard to get everybody to be perfect on the same day so that they, because the Pharisees believed that if they could get everybody obeying the law at the same time on the same day, then Jesus would come back. So their motives were right, but the way they were, wanting, they were going about it was to try to get everybody perfect by outside pressure, not from transformation from the inside. And that's what Jesus said that we could do, be transformed from within. Jesus' blood. He was the lamb. I could go back because of time, won't give you much, but they would select the perfect lamb in the Old Testament, the perfect lamb from their flock. 
could not have disease, could not have blemish. It had to be perfect. That blood, that lamb was killed. The blood was painted on the doorposts of the house. That blood uh, was spilt as a remission or payment for sin for a year back in the time of the Old Testament because they even then knew that they could not stay true to the law. So they used the blood of, of goats and of lambs and of bulls and of birds as a part of blood payment covering them to keep them all right with God for a year. But when Jesus came, he was that perfect lamb without spot, without blemish, without transgression. He obeyed the law of God. And so when he went to the cross and he spilt his blood, that was the very last blood sacrifice needed on planet earth for Jews, Gentiles, to be right with God. That's why that blood is so precious. That's why we sing songs about the blood of Christ. Others hear that as gross and grotesque. And why would you? Because that blood is the redemption for our lost condition. It becomes very precious to those of us who have screwed up severely to know that God will forgive us and restore us. This, this pharisaical background, here's what Jesus said about that Pharisee heart mind. Matthew 23, 27, he says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of the religious law and you Pharisees, he called them hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside, but you're filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurities. Outward you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's Jesus' message to those trying their best to live under the law. I've known people today and you usually can tell these, these are true followers of Jesus Christ, but are trying to keep their relationship with God by being perfect to the law. And we are called to be, we're called to live under that covenant of the law. But when, when we believe that it keeps us saved, or it keeps us right, and that's the only way by being perfect, that religion produces a, a guilt a condemnation, a shame that you carry to the point that you can't really function as a member of the body of Christ because we're so guilty. Because we know that the gospel of Jesus is this. Jesus paid for your sin. All of it. This is bigger than my mind can handle, but it's he paid for the sin of my past of which I've known I've screwed up. But he's paying now currently for my sin in my life now. And he's paying for the sin of my future. He paid for all of it one time on the cross. And Paul said, if you have faith in Jesus and the message that he died for you, that he fulfilled the, the, the curse of the law, which is death when you fail it, he paid that price, you are now free. You are now free in Jesus. Take that in just a moment. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Those of you who have come to Jesus Christ and said, Jesus, please take my sin and all my mess 
forgive me. Forgive me. And Lord, please wash me with that sacrifice, that blood that you spilled on. Wash me with that blood. What it does is this. is so cool. He takes this old, broken clay pot because we were formed from the dirt of the earth, right? He took this, takes this old broken clay pot that's been, had been filled with all kinds of death and destruction and filth and sin. He cleans that inside of us out, pays for it by His blood, so that we then become a vessel of the very presence of God. God sends His Spirit to live within us. And when he's living within us, he calls us from the old broken mess we were to become his ambassador in a broken world. Not that we became perfect or we got everything of the clay pot fixed, but that we have the presence of God. We have the message of God that wherever you are, whatever you've done, the Lord Jesus has paid for your sin and he wants you to be his. If you will come by faith, a grace will be applied which covers us. I love the concept in the picture of Scripture that says we're covered by this blood of Jesus. So that when God sees us now, He doesn't see the old broken, nasty pot that we were. He sees the blood. You know what He sees? Jesus. He sees us as His we're his children. He says, well done. Yeah, we should be thinking that should be, that should be a party happening right there. When we know that Jesus has paid for it, covers us, fills us, calls us out from the pit and says, now walk in the light of Christ. Be, let your life be a testimony to a dark world. Let life come from your lips, no longer death. Let the ministry of the Holy Spirit that is within you flow out of you, which will bring life everywhere you go. No longer be caught under the captivity of your old sin life. Jesus said, I've set you free. One of the gospel writers says, forgetting what is behind, now pressing on to the high calling of Jesus Christ. What would happen if 250 people really got a hold of that? Where the enemy stands behind you right now and says, don't remember how bad you were? You remember what you did back then? You know, you were an embarrassment. You were awful. He will remind you constantly of your sin. Why? To keep you trapped in some form of slavery so you won't work for the kingdom. What if you grasp the concept that you're forgiven, called, filled by the Holy Spirit, gifted in order to make a, I think, to be dangerous. I believe Christians are to be dangerous to a dark world. Not cowering, not trying to be PC, just loving people and not on, not on issues, loving people as God loves people. In the midst of their brokenness, see the redemptive possibility in their life. Love them. Why did lost people, messed up, I mean, prostitutes, had dinner with Jesus? Seriously? Why would they do that? Because he loved them. And they knew it. Have you ever been in the presence of somebody you know they just love you? They know you're screwed up, but they love you. 
It's fun, isn't it, to be there? It's good to be in that relationship. That's your father. See, tradition can get in our way as well. So we have to be careful that our old form of religion training would keep us from having heartfelt worship. That's not good. We of all people should be party animals when it comes to worship because of what he, I've just described to you, what he's done for us. What a, what a celebration every time we gather in the house of God because of the redemption of Christ. We have to be careful that in our discipleship that we don't keep all of our people uh, just in the four walls of a room. See, disciples are one who take the message of the gospel out. We have to be careful that, our, that we have an uncontainable love, not a containable love. And we need to make sure that in our training, that we're just not training in the word, but in the spirit, spirit and truth combination, so that we have this, uh, this, this uh, faith that is not hindered. So that when we pray for the sick, when we pray for the lost, we're praying in authority because God called us to pray that way. And you see, if our tradition keeps us from those things, we need to cast off those traditions. Because God has a redemptive plan that the world so badly needs to hear. The salvation of God provided for us through Jesus is so complete that many of us have a hard time accepting without adding requirements on top. It's hard to think that God would love us completely to prepare a way where the price is paid by His Son and all we have to do is acknowledge our sin, asking the Lord to forgive us and to take over our life. And He will. There may be some here today, very religious, but you've never had a transformation of Jesus in your heart. Now's the time. Vicki, come on up, please. If your heart is turned away from the Lord, back under, because I've talked to many believers who would say, I'd, I'd say, what's your dream? Because I believe God puts a dream inside every believer. What is God's calling on your life? What is, your, what is it your heart begins to pump when you think about this part of the ministry. And we talk about it. And I see life come into their eyes. And then I begin to say. Well you know what's stopping you? Well it will come back to. I'm guilty. I'm a mess. I'm failure. They're living under the curse. Not under the life of Christ. This was radical message in that day. And it probably still is a radical message today. I don't know what the Lord is saying to you, but I would like to say right now, do this. Close your eyes. Lord, say this prayer. Lord, what are you speaking to me today? Truth in the midst of lies. What are you saying to me? Do I really know you, Lord, or do I just know a form, a religion? If it is, turn back, run quickly to the Lord. Are you astray? Have you been living with a lot of condemnation and guilt? Come back to the Lord. Confess your sins. He says, I'll forgive you of all unrighteousness. I would say return quickly. Does your religious tradition hinder the work and the will of God in your life and in the life of your church? If it is, come and confess it and, and repent of it quickly so that we might be 
the people the Lord wants us to be. Lord, have your way with us now. The only thing else I'd ask you to ask him is this, Lord, what do you want me to do about what you've just shown me?